as I see the things that God is doing in the earth, I know that it's been preached for almost 2,000 years, not quite. Jesus said it, that he was going to come back. John saw it 60 years later in Revelation that the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout. He saw that new Jerusalem coming down. The apostles preached about it. I know it's been happening for a long time. But I want to tell you that what they preached about, we're seeing. And I believe that the coming of the Lord is imminent. I sincerely say this today, that if the Lord should give me life for several more years and be healthy, I sincerely do believe that I will more than likely see the coming of the Lord in my flesh. I believe we're that close. And I want to be ready when he comes. I don't want to miss him. I don't want to miss him. The book of John chapter 10, I know you've been standing for quite some time. But if you would join me there in John chapter 10. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they did not understand the things that he said to them. He spoke it in a parable, and they did not understand. So he said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door. I am the door. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. Do you think he's trying to get a point to him? I am the door. And by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not. But for to steal and to kill. And to destroy. But I am come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Aren't you thankful that you know the door this morning? Amen. 
I want to take just a few moments of your time today, if I can, and preach to you from the simple thought, going beyond the open door, going beyond the open door. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that your word brings life to us. Thank you, Lord, that your word challenges us. I pray today, God, that from the platform to the back door, across the waves of the internet today, that your word would go forth. That whoever would hear this word at any season in their life, Father, it would bring life to them. I plead the blood of Jesus over this house and over the ears of all that hear. And I pray today, God, that the good seed would be planted in good soil. That it would bring forth good fruit. In Jesus' name, we honor you, Lord. And let the church say amen. 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 Would you thank God for his word today? Thank you, Jesus. Turn to somebody and tell them, I'm sure glad you came to church this morning. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. I want to take just a few moments today at the beginning of this sermon to talk to you about some things that have been weighing heavy on my heart. This past week we were in Covington, Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati for a convention for our general conference. And uh, when we got up Friday morning, my family and I drove a little further south and went to uh, the Noah's Ark experience, the Ark experience, very neat thing. My mother and dad bought us tickets at Christmas time to go to the ark and there are several things to see outside there so we waited until warm weather and it just made sense that we were 45 minutes away and decided to go on Friday and as I pulled into that parking lot I saw hundreds if not thousands I don't know how many spots they have but thousands of vehicles that were parked there to see an experience to somehow get a visual on the magnitude of the vision that God gave one man. Now, today in the earth, there is somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 billion people alive as you and I speak. And that thought is overwhelming when you consider the fact that before I finish this sentence, another one will die. And another will come into the earth and will breathe their first breath. So one is breathing their last right now. And another is breathing their first right now. Out of those 8 billion people, there was one man that decided he wanted the world to have an experience. The experience of an ark. I don't have figures on this that I could find hard for myself. But was told at the Ark Experience the other day that the gentleman who put this project together spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million to build an ark to show people what it was like when Noah built the ark. I was very impressed with some of the things in the ark. I felt like the man gave great credit to God and latitude in the word of God when there were some things that he said concerning the ark. We got it as close as we could. 
the things that we did not have as concrete evidence from the scripture, we filled in the blanks, but got it as close as we could. So one of the first things that I was reminded of as we walked into the ark was the idea that every now and then it's a wise thing for you to say, I don't know. When somebody asks you a question about the scripture that you don't know, the best thing you could say is, I'm not sure, but I'll get back with you. Because we certainly don't want to give an answer to somebody that could cause for there to be some kind of eternal separation from God because we took latitude that did not belong to us and give them an answer that would not be pleasing to the Lord. And I appreciated the fact that they did their best to get as close to the idea of the ark as they could. And certainly they took some liberties uh, inside. There were some video presentations that they kind of modernized. And it was very entertaining, very neat. And I looked around the room and I saw people from every walk of life. There were people there that quite honestly, I believe the only reason they were there was to be critical. Um, I do believe that we were in the presence of some atheists that day. Uh, Pastor Kenneth Allen and his family were there. There were several apostolic families there. Sister Allen told my wife, she said, they were standing looking at one of the exhibits inside the ark. And the woman standing next to her said, this is all made up. This is all fabricated. It's not even real. And I thought how incredible it is that one man out of eight billion would take the vision and the time and the millions and millions of dollars to invest in an ark. And a woman standing inside the ark reading history about people who said the ark was fake, fabricated, and not real would look at an exhibit about people who lost their lives for saying it's fake, fabricated, and not real and would say this is fake, fabricated, and is not real. And all of a sudden I felt pretty good about being a pastor. You can preach it and some folks just won't get it. But let me be clear about one thing this morning. I believe... That there was an ark. And I believe that there was a flood. And I believe that there was a man named Noah. And I believe that Noah and his sons and their wives and Noah's wife were safe in the ark. I believe that the Lord has provided for us an ark of safety. I believe that the ark of safety is called the church. And I believe that when the flood waters came in the days of Noah, that men who were not on the ark were lost. And I believe that at the coming of the Lord, if you're not in the ark, you can preach to me this morning. If you're not in the ark, you're lost. There were Amish families there. I was very surprised. There were Amish families there. And I watched as their children stood and watched probably one of the first video presentations they've ever seen in their lives. They stood very, very, like, kind of bum-fuzzled at this big square thing that was hanging from the ceiling, and they were moving pictures on it. They were watching. I thought it was really cool that everything from atheistic perspective to 
the Amish perspective and everything in between was there. It was very, very neat for us to see. As I passed through the ark, uh, my mind was overwhelmed as I began to read about a storyline that sounds so familiar to me. It's a storyline that I can identify with. One of the beginning portions of the ark experience was that when God created, He created everything to perfection. He created a garden that was perfect, an earth that was perfect. He created a paradise that was where He intended for His creation to dwell. He created a man that was perfect. I told my girls. We were walking through and they had a little sculpture of what it looked like at creation. They had Adam laying there and he was pretty buff. When God created Adam from day one, he could bench press 400 pounds. It was kind of cool. And Adam was laying there. He looked so, so good. And his wife, you know, she was cut just right. She, she looked just perfect. Eve, she was so good. And we walked by the exhibit of Adam and I said, look at that girls. Adam looked just like your dad. I believe when God created Adam, he created him to be healthy. I believe he created Adam as a perfect specimen of man. And that is not like me. But the story as you walk down the wall said God created marriage to be perfect. God created man to be perfect. God created the garden to be perfect. And then came this conjunction that jumped off the wall at me, and you can't help but notice, God created perfection, but man. God created his church to be perfect, but man. I tell you today that I believe with all my heart, if it's written in this book, it's right. I will not be convinced by anybody else that we must open up our minds and go outside the canon of the scripture in order to establish ourselves in doctrine. I believe that if our doctrine cannot be verified scripture upon scripture, it is not a doctrine at all. If it is a doctrine, it would fall into a category of one that we find in the New Testament. It is a doctrine of devils. I tell you, I believe there is a reason why evolutionists and scientists fight the flood theory so bad. They want people to discredit the idea of the flood. Because if you discredit the idea of the flood, it discredits the power of sin and the power of God. I I sent a picture over this morning. I don't know if they have it or not. It moved me. I actually... Uh, I don't know if you can see it completely, but I actually had to take, I had to stop and take a picture of this. It's a serpent wrapped around this sign. I know it's hard to see projected, but it said, the serpent is speaking. It said, if I can convince you that the flood was not real, then I can convince you that heaven and hell are not real. It's the very reason that the enemy wants to convince us That the scripture is not right because if he can take away the power of the flood, he can take away the power of sin. He can take away the power of God. And if there is no sin, then surely there is no penalty. And if there is no God, then surely there is no judgment. 
Think about it, church. Deception is a progressive idea that begins with the thought process that if I will make myself happy, God will be pleased. The Bible tells us that man was created in the image. Somebody say the image. In the image of God. You want to know what that means? That means he looked like God. He was in the image of God. And the scripture said that when the serpent came to the woman in the tree. That she said. That the serpent said to her. If you eat of the fruit of this tree. The reason God doesn't want you to is because he knows That if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you're going to be as gods. Think about it. He gave her a promise of something that she already had access to. She was created in the image of God after his likeness. And the serpent said, if you do this, you can be like him. Can I tell you that the world has always tried to make us believe that the way to be like him is to cause ourselves to be unlike him. That we must modify the plan of God. That we must modify the laws of God. That we must modify the word of God. I hear the anthem sing louder and louder day by day. That it's a new century. It's a new day. It's a new age. You don't have to believe the old time way. You don't have to believe the old landmarks were put there for us. You don't have to believe the old Pentecostal way. But I've come to tell somebody this morning, you're looking at a man who believes I'm not the one that put the mark there and I'm not the one that has a right to move the mark. I want to be very careful about what I'm getting ready to tell you because I certainly don't want to hurt anybody and I don't want anything to come back would say I was being negative but this week my wife and I were blown away I've had several discussions with other preachers about this about a backslidden preacher that walked away from God and I don't say this with any animosity and I certainly don't mean to cut anybody down but when he left our movement he left as one of the most intelligent people in the world and nobody could tell him anything he had revelation that nobody else had so wise so intelligent And knew more than his elders, knew more than everybody. You know how it is. It's kind of like a teenager. They hit 17 years old and all of a sudden they're a genius. And this gentleman has walked away from truth. He walked away from the pulpit. He walked away from his family. This week was online posting videos of himself using some of the most foul language I've ever heard in my life. And I've, I've... I I told my wife, I said, I feel like filthy. I feel dirty after watching this. But I can't can't even hardly look away when I look into the eyes of this person and I see the demonic powers that are controlling and manipulating the mind of this person who at one time preached. You can be free from these very powers. And I heard him as he began to tell people with foul curse words. That I used to be a part of a religion that was uh, 
What's the word I'm looking for when we talk about radical? Radical. He said it was a, it was a, a radical religion. He said I was a part of a radical religion that told people if they drink and they curse and they party that they're going to be lost. And he said it's not true. That's not the plan of God. Blankety 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 blank. And he was just cussing and cursing. It was absolutely horrible. He said, and "I know some of you are looking right now and thinking that God is going to curse me and give me cancer or something like that." He said, "That's stupid." I told my wife I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. You listen to what this preacher's telling you this morning. There's going to come a day in your life that you're going to finally have to reconcile in your heart whether or not you're sold out or you're not. Whether you believe this thing or you don't. You can give in to pressure all you want to, but at the end of the day, I choose to stand on the fact that this word was written by men who were inspired of the Holy Ghost. had someone reach out to me and say, man, what in the world is wrong with so-and-so? And the answer is pretty cut and dry. Because they have not a love for the truth. I sent them a strong delusion and caused them to believe a lie that they might be damned. Folks, listen to me. The dangerous part about this whole idea of finding your own way and doing your own thing is that it always comes as a revelation. Let's just set the record straight in the house of the Lord this morning. God is not giving out new revelations about His Word. God is not going to wait until 2019 to reveal some fresh revelation to a group of people who frankly don't deserve the revelation. Here's what I believe. I believe in creation. I believe in seven literal days. I believe that God did it all by himself. I believe that he rested on the seventh day. I don't believe that he had a council of other gods. I don't believe that he counseled with the Son and with the Spirit. I believe he did it all by himself. I believe that man was created by God. I believe that man sinned. I believe that man messed up. I don't believe that God ran away and left man. I believe that man separated himself from God. And the book tells us that if you separate yourself from God, you will pay the price. Woo! Now that's only a portion of what I believe, but I believe it. Why does the devil not want you to believe the flood is real? Because if he can convince you the flood's not real, he can convince you that eternity is not real. I've told this story several times, I'm sure even in this pulpit, about the day that I was approached by some people of another religion that wanted to do a Bible study in our, in our, in our home. And we welcomed it with open arms. As they came in, we began, we began to talk about the kingdom, we began to talk about eternity. In their doctrine, how things worked. They proceeded to tell me in their doctrine that there are only so many slots in paradise that are already reserved for people, and that those elders have already filled those spots, and that there's no more than 144,000. That's just the way it is. And so, 
I began to question them as to their obedience and their sacrifice to their idea. Why, if all the spots are taken, are you still living for the Lord? They said, well, there is a level for us. It's not necessarily what you would consider heaven, but there is a, a paradise for us. And my head was like spinning. I'm like, let, let me get this straight. You're telling me that you, you can't make it to heaven, but you're trying to get me to buy in. And, and, and I, I asked the question, and I, I really wasn't trying to be a jerk. I asked him the question. I said, what happens if I don't? Like, if I decide today what you're saying is goofy, and I don't want anything to do with it, and I don't buy into your doctrine, what happens to me then? If I die without being in the faith, as you call it, being in the kingdom. And they said, well, when you die, you cease to exist. I was like, let's go get a cold beer. You understand what I'm saying? Why don't you just put the, the, the pedal to the metal and the throttle to the firewall? And why don't you just die with some crazy disease because you drank out of everybody's cup and laid with everybody that's standing? Like, why, why don't you just get after it? Go do whatever you want. Why are you sitting in my house for three hours trying to convince me that I need to buy in? Now, folks, listen to me. I'm not being ugly. I'm being sincere. And God gave us fruit from that. One of the, one of the young ladies in that Bible study, stayed, that was a Wednesday, stayed with us and came to the house of God and prayed through that night, got the Holy Ghost and prayed through. It was worth our time together. But understand me when I tell you this. That's the danger of the doctrines of men. If you've got to write your own Bible to explain to people that judgment is gone. That, that doesn't happen anymore. But if you want a slice of the pie, here's how you get it. Listen, I don't want the pie nearly as bad as I want to be saved. They kept offering invitations to get into the kingdom. You got to come into the kingdom. You got to get into the kingdom over and over. I kept hearing kingdom language, kingdom language. And they, had, they were really up against the ropes because Bishop Bingham walked in. I don't know if he even remembers this or not. Bishop Bingham sat down in my mom and dad's living room. And he said, I'm hearing you say an awful lot about the kingdom. I want to know one thing. How do you get into the kingdom? They started talking, well, well, the kingdom, you got to come in, you, gotta, you need to come to church. You gotta, he's, no, that's not what Jesus said. He said, Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again of water and of the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom and he cannot enter the kingdom. I feel like telling you this morning, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to walk through the door. believe it I believe that according to the scripture 
There is going to come a day of reconciliation in your mind of just how much you really believe the word. I found it in my ministry, and the problem is it happens over and over and over and over again. Read it in Genesis chapter 7. In Genesis 6, the Lord has given him instructions to Noah, and he says to Noah, he says, I want you to build the ark, and I want you to put a door, a door, one door in the middle, and one window in the top. Anybody here still believe that? Oh, my Lord. Does anybody here still believe that? Oh, God, you scared me for just a second. Everybody here believes there's only one door, right? Lord, I just about started writing my letter of resignation. Y'all made me nervous. I ain't preaching at no three-door church. I could pick on my friend right now who preached about one door and set up three, but I'm not going to. (laughs) I believe, Genesis 6, the Lord told him, put one door, put one window. And I believe Genesis 7, when he and his family walked into that door, I don't believe that they all came in a different way. I believe that the eight of them and all of the animals, the clean and the unclean, they all walked through the very same door and they got on the same ark. That's why I have a problem with replacement theology and I don't have time to stay here all day. But there's not two arks because there's not two doors and there's not going to be two tables. Lord Jesus, I'm running off down a rabbit trail here. I believe that there was one door on that ark. But there's something very interesting that happened that you've got to get down in your spirit. Brother Boyer shared a story with me many, many years ago. We've laughed about it a lot. and He, used to, he said that church it went to years ago, I may not get it completely right, but it'll be close. That uh, the testimony that went forth was always Jesus said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Right? And so finally that came forth one night and somebody, I don't remember if it was him or somebody stood up and said, Jesus said it and whether I believe it or not, it's settled. It's not Jesus said it, I believe it and it's settled. It's Jesus said it and it's settled, believe it or not. Am I telling the truth, elder? Jesus said it, that's it. But the scripture said that Noah and his family walked onto that ark. And all of the animals came onto that ark. And I want you to read this for yourself. I want you to see this for yourself. Because this is where somebody is today. And the spirit of the Lord is trying to help somebody in this house. Uh, Genesis chapter 7. And let's just go uh, very quickly so you can see the context of this. Let's go to verse 6. Genesis 7 and verse number 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters was upon the earth. Noah went in, his sons, his wife, his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of the clean beasts, of the beasts that are not clean, of the fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, God as God had commanded Noah. Watch this, verse 10. This is what I want you to see. And it came to pass after seven days. That the waters of the flood were upon the earth. Read it in context. You're going to find out that Noah had been preaching for over 75 years about the coming of the flood waters. When he stepped onto the boat 
And all of the animals that happened. Somebody say that's a miracle. Folks, think about it. If he had 25 lifetimes, he couldn't have gathered all the animals, especially looking at them and say, okay, I think that's the male and that's the female. Yep, let's get them. Let's rope them in. Could you imagine that? Does anybody here know how that happened? By God. Oh, that's impossible. He couldn't have fed all them animals. Couldn't even got them all there. I'm telling you right now, when you walk in divine order, God will do things for you that you never imagined. You couldn't do it on your own. Oh, Lord, help me in this house. Some of you are trying to figure out how God is going to put this plan together. God did not tell Noah to rope all the animals. He told Noah, build the ark. Some of y'all are trying to be goat ropers, and you're not supposed to be goat ropers. You're ark builders. Let me just interject this. Let me just go ahead and interject this, okay? I believe God would have let anybody else on that ark that wanted on the ark. But I'm saying to you right now, I believe with all the animals and his family of eight, it was full. And here's the reason why. The ark was not for the rest of the world. The ark was for his family. That means your number one paramount responsibility, sir, is your family. That means if there's not room for anybody else in your life, you better make sure when the rain comes that your family is in the ark. That means before you teach your kids how to make their first million, you ought to teach them how to pay their tithes and how to be faithful to the house of God. They get on the ark and all the animals. And the door, somebody say the door. The door is standing open. What's verse 10 say? And seven days, then the waters came. Listen to me. The enemy will bring you to a place in your life that will make you question everything you've preached and everything you've believed that was preached. Even after the miracle working power of God, when all of the animals came onto the ark, and there's no way that Noah could have made that happen, Noah and his family sat on the ark for seven days. Everything completed and every animal in place before the first drop came. That seven days was not a grace period for the rest of the world because the ark was not for the rest of the world. That was a period in Noah's life That he had to come to grips with the fact that God said it and I believe it. I'm on the ark. I've obeyed God. But the rain hasn't started falling yet. I don't know what I'm going to do. The only thing you can do is stay on the ark. I don't believe that for seven days that Noah went outside every day and looked up for rain. I don't believe that. I don't believe that Noah sent his wife off the ark. I don't believe that Noah sent his children off the ark. I believe that when Noah got on the ark, he stayed on the ark because there was fear in his mind that if he's off the ark, when the door closes... What are you doing? Well, I'm just out here checking to see if God's word is true. I'm on a discovery mission to see if God needs my help. He don't need your help. Get on the ark. Seven days. Folks, listen to me. 
You can believe what you want to. My imagination's weird. I've got to believe that people passed by that ark during that seven-day period and screamed inside that door. You big dummy! You've said all this time it was coming. Now here you are and all these dumb animals. It stinks in there, don't it? You've been in there five days and the rain hasn't come yet. What's wrong with you? I told you it wasn't going to happen. I told you the rain wasn't coming. I told you you wasted your time. Well, folks, this is the only thing I know to tell you. I've settled it in my heart that the Word of God is right. And if I leave this world with people telling me, I told you it's never going to happen, on that great getting up morning, they're going to look at my life and they're going to find out that what we told them was the truth. Maybe that don't satisfy you like it does me. But I'm telling you, even the grave won't be able to hold the body of a man that lived on the ark. It doesn't matter to me if he calls me out of the pulpit this morning or he calls me out of the grave. But one thing I know for sure, in that resurrection morning, I'm going. Seven days. He sits for seven days. No rain. But then God, after that seventh day, begins to lift up the door that no man could shut. I want you to think about the weight and the magnitude of a door that's big enough for two elephants to walk on at the same time. How heavy do you think that door was? I would put every dime I've got on it if I was a betting man, and you'd be disappointed if you won. But I'd put every dime on it that there wasn't a man in the earth or a group of men that could have walked up and lifted that door and closed it. You want to know why? Because there's some things that God's going to do in your life you just can't get the credit for. If Noah could have closed the door, that man Noah could have opened the door. And if Noah could have opened the door, then Noah could have let people in. That's why as a pastor, it matters to me so much to preach to you that I didn't write the Word of God. It's not my job to rewrite the Word of God. It's my job to believe it and to preach it. Pastor, I I just don't think it's fair that people have to live their whole lives separated from the world. Isn't that sad? I feel so bad for people that have to live with the blessings of God. And I, I feel so sorry for people. I think it's awful. I looked at, this, I looked at this, this poor fellow the other day. He was so high on drugs he couldn't stand up. It was, it was crazy. And you know, I looked at that guy and I thought, man, my life is so boring. This is just... Brother Frank, I couldn't stand it. I looked, that guy couldn't even walk. He was talking to himself in San Francisco. He came, he came walking by. I mean, the dude was messed up. It was, it was sad. It was scary. And I looked at him. I thought, man, this, my life's terrible. All my kids are standing here, and God, look at them. Every stinking one of them are sober. I looked at my wife standing next to me, and I thought in my heart, this is stupid, man. I've had to be with the same old woman for 17 years. Isn't this crazy? 
I mean, we've had to put up with each other, go to that crazy church, get the blessings of God on our life, all of us being saved and all of us being healthy. Isn't that stupid? And all because we have chosen to live a poor, pitiful life of separation under the Lord. Does that sound as foolish to you as it does me? You know what I think of when I look at this world? I think to this world, they can say whatever they want and they can judge me. But their judgment does not matter against me when I'm on the ark. You can say whatever you want to say about me. But understand this. I would rather be me on the inside of the ark looking out. Don't nobody want to preach with me right now. I've come to tell you I'd rather be on the inside looking out than to be on the outside looking in. Let me hurry. i got to hurry up. i got to get to a funeral. Let me preach to you. Jesus said, I am the door. Somebody wanted to know how in the world he could be Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's pretty easy. Because if we're going to start separating all that, I guess he's a rock too. I guess he's a, I guess he's a, a big piece of wooden door too. I guess he's a burning bush. Right? So really, I guess we've got some serious issues here. Because if you're just going to say that he's three, then you've shortchanged him. Now, because I'm talking about the, the New Testament says... That rock in the wilderness was Christ Jesus. I didn't say that. The New Testament says that. The New Testament says that rock is Christ Jesus. What rock? Water that the flint rock poured out of. Why? Because he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Understand me when I tell you this right now. That old ark, get in there and read it for yourself. I wish I had time. Oh, God, I wish I had time to read this and preach it to you, but I don't have time. He said, I want you to make that ark, and I want you to put one door on the side of it. And he said, I want it to have a bottom and an upper level. That Count that, folks. The, the level you walk in on, the level in the bottom, and the level on the top. What you got? Three levels. How many doors you got? Jesus said, I am the way. How can you be the way, the truth, and the life? Isaiah said it pretty simple like this in 9 and 6. He said, unto us a child is born, a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The son, the child, is called the Mighty God. John the Beloved. Who loved Jesus and Jesus loved him so much that he looked at John and said, you're my mom's new adopted son. Y'all read that too? You love him so much, mother, and he loves you so much. Behold thy son, behold your mother. I love you so much that I want you taking care of my mother. And over 60 years after Jesus left the earth, John on the Isle of Patmos heard a voice. Oh my God. Do you think John recognized the voice of the man that he loved more than life? 
when he said, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending. Brothers and sisters, there is only one door. And Jesus said, I am the door. I've come to declare to you this morning, you're not getting to the Father without Jesus. Oh, Lord, I've got to hurry. I am the way, the truth, the life. I've preached this in this church before about the tabernacle. The way was the place where the brazen altar was. In the tabernacle language, the way was where the brazen altar was, the holy place where the golden lampstand and the incense and the table of shoe bread was, it was the truth. And the way that entered into the, holy of, the holiest of holies was called the life. The, the earthly tabernacle in the wilderness, the Bible said, was type and shadow of heavenly things. Jesus comes in tabernacles among us. John 1, 14, the earth was made flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us, in the literal language, tabernacled among us, and said, I am the way. I am the outer, I, I'm, the, I'm the altar of repentance. I am the way. I'm the brazen altar. I am the truth. I am the bread of life. I am the light. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I am the incense and I am the life. I am the holiest of holies. I am what's behind the veil. I am what's your, oh God. And when the sky grew dark and the veil was rent twain from top to bottom, the, the history will record us that Pompeius the Great had walked into the temple and held Jewish people in arms and said, don't let them in here. And he walked in behind the veil and he came out and Pompey said, why are you making such a big fuss about an empty room? There's no Ark of the Covenant in there. What they needed to understand is that the Ark of the Covenant, the truth, the life, had been walking among them for 33 years. I'm saying to you this morning, there is one way into the kingdom, and that way into the kingdom is Jesus. Uh, so, Jesus is the door. It's pretty much settled. He said, you're not coming any other way. Now, folks, I don't have time to tell you all this, but I just want to set the record straight. You don't pass from the gate into the life. You've got to pass through the way and through the truth if you're going to get to the life. Shall we break it down? That repentance is that, that, uh, bra that brazen altar? Shall we break it down that the laver... Is water baptism in Jesus' name in that tabernacle? And as you enter into that holy place where the presence of God is in the holiest of holies, there you've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within an earthen vessel. Can I tell you that you don't confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord to be saved? If you want to get to real life, you've got to pass through the way and through the truth and through the life. I feel like telling somebody this morning, I still believe that you've got to repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. I still believe that you've got to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. With this I close. If we're going to come to the kingdom of God, we must be born again. And you've got to pass through the door. But what happens on the other side of that door? I'm so glad that you asked. When you go beyond the open door, you don't celebrate the fact that you have finally arrived because you've been born again. You actually come to an understanding 
that all this crazy hoopla that all these people make up, if God says I'm saved, then I'm saved, that's it's baloney. People come up with the craziest stuff I've ever heard in my life. I went to church one time and gave my life to the Lord. If I'm saved, I'm saved forever. No man can pluck me out of the hands of God. You know what? I finally got sick enough of that one day. I told somebody, I said, you're exactly right. Nobody can take you out of the hands of God, but you can jump out. I'm sorry. I don't believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. If I did, I wouldn't be here preaching this morning. You've got to go beyond the open door. The new birth is not where we find new life forever. That's where we're born again. And we move through the stage of being born again into a spiritual adolescent to where we grow in grace and we understand God and we understand that I can't just say what I want to say and do what I want to do and live how I want to live and be saved. Folks, listen to me. God is not some cruel judge that's sitting up on the throne today ready to damn you and condemn you and send you to hell. Let me help you understand. Beyond the open door, He made a way for you to not have to go to hell. He made a way for you to not have to die in the flood. I'm thankful to know this morning that the door has been opened for me. I don't have to die in my sin. Let's stand together. It's refreshing for me. It's not a heavy burden for me. It is not a burden for me to contemplate in my mind that I can't just be born again. I actually have to give my life to God. How disappointed would you be, and some of you probably understand this better than I know, how how disappointed would you be for the rest of your life when you exchange gifts with your family, you never got a gift in return? How bummed out would you be? But people think God just wants to give them the Holy Ghost, give them the gift, and there be no experience, no betrothal, no desire to stay connected with Him. I I went to church one time with my grandmother, and I gave my heart to the Lord, and here I am. Brothers and sisters, I say as respectfully as I can this morning. I thank God for the grandmothers and the grandfathers that blessed us and loved us and fed us. But understand me when I tell you, they didn't make the door. They are not the door. They can't make a new door. There's only one door. What what, what am I going to do about my grandmother? Hey, she's in the hands of a just God. What am I going to do about my uncle so-and-so? He taught me this doctrine. You're saying this doctrine. Listen, you let God deal with uncle so-and-so. But you know that God sent you on Sunday morning to FPC for me to tell you there's only one door. And if you want to get in the kingdom in the sheepfold, you got to come through the door. And when the rains start coming, you're going to be glad that you walk through the door. If you're in this house this morning, You've been hesitant. You've been reluctant. You have approached the door many times, but with great trepidation, you're not exactly sure how to take all of this. Let me just tell you. I've been to people's house before and knocked on the door. Made a judgment of their house by the way the outside looked. But was gravely surprised when they opened the door and I got to see the inside of the house. Can I tell you right now, you'd never guess by looking at this old ship of Zion just how incredible it is on the inside. 
But don't be satisfied to just stand at the door and knock this morning. And say, Lord, let me look in your house and see if this is what I want to be and what I want to do. I would say the greatest day of your life would be the day that when you knock and he opens up, that you don't stay on the front porch. You can say, I went on that Sunday to knock on the door, but I made up in my mind before I left that I was going beyond the open door. I was going into my father's house, and there I saw the table that was spread for me. If you're here today and you've never committed your life to the Lord, you've never repented of your sins or been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, today would be a great day for that. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That name is Jesus. If you've never taken on the name of Jesus this morning, I would encourage you with every head bowed and every eye closed right now that you would step out into the aisle and make your way toward the front of this church. Raise your hands to the Lord without fear or shame or worry about what anybody's going to say about you. And say, Lord, today I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you my life. Take me and use me. Maybe you've walked away from God. Maybe you're further from God than you ever dreamed that you would be. And I just want to tell you, you are blessed today because the door is still open. And there's still room in the Father's house for you. If you're in a backslidden condition today and feel far from God, I want you to come. I want you to step out right now. Don't worry about your pride. Don't worry about shame. Don't worry about where you've been. Don't worry about what people are going to say about you. If you need to touch the Lord today and you've wandered far from the ark, I just want you to come right now. And I want you to lift your hands to the Lord and I want you to recommit your heart and your life to Him today. In the name of Jesus. 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 Pastor, I've been on this ark for a long time. You better make sure that you're on it today. Come on, you'll never get this altar call again. You'll never have this moment again, ever. Once this window of opportunity has passed, it's over. You'll never get to revisit this surface service again. You can listen to the CD and watch the video, but you'll never revisit this service again. This moment right here that God has given you, the open door that He has given you. Would you reach for Him this morning, church? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. All over this house, church, would you lift your hands to the Lord? The Holy Ghost is reaching for somebody in the house today. Don't let your pride keep you in your seat today.